Oh, good morning again, Mountain View. Thank you so much for joining us again. And uh, here we are. We're working through this series that we're calling Scattered, and we'll get there. Uh, in Acts chapter 8, the church was scattered, but I, but I want to take the time, and we've been taking the time, just to build the foundation of what the church really is. And so thank you for engaging with us and joining us. Um, as a reminder, these are done live, so everything that you're seeing right now is probably just about 20 seconds uh, behind what's actually happening. And uh, so thank you for engaging with us. Thank you for participating with us. Thank you for being a part of, of what God's doing just, just through Mountain View people, but also what God's doing around us. And so we appreciate you doing that and journeying with us and being a part. Good news is, it looks like we might be able to gather uh, before what we originally anticipated. And so be in prayer for Multnomah County specifically uh, that maybe we can enter phase one this week and uh, begin to put together our plans so that, when, so that we can gather again in this room and celebrate and worship together. And, and uh, won't that be a good day when we can do it? Certainly it'll be a little bit different, but we will be able to join together. So last week, last week we looked at a few verses in the book of Acts. Really the first three verses is where we spent most of our time. And what was happening in the first three verses of the book of Acts, you have a guy named Dr. Luke who wrote this book. It's kind of a research project, if you will. And, and then he sent this book to a guy named Theophilus. And, and what he does in the first couple of verses is, is build the foundation or the origin or the essence or, or the ethos of what Christianity is. And, and I love that part of what happens because this book, the book of Acts, is really all about the acts of the apostles, those first disciples and the work that they did in and through God's work, really being, being a, equipped to do God's work to, to spread the good news of the gospel throughout all of the land. And so the first chapter tells us what the origin, what the essence, what the foundation, what the ethos of Christianity is. And if we really want to understand what Christianity is, we have to go back, we have to study it. And then we have to apply it. And so what was the ethos? What was the essence? What was the foundation or the origin of Christianity? You'll have to go back and listen to the message last week. But let me review for just a moment. In Acts chapter 1, verse 1, it says this. In my first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. What Luke's saying is, I wrote a gospel already. It's the gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And now, in that book, he started out with everything that Jesus began to do and all that Jesus began to teach. And then he says this, until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And right there, we have the foundation. We have the essence. We have the ethos, the, the origin of what Christianity is. The fact that Jesus lived, he began to teach, and he taught us so much in the three years that he lived and, and was active in his ministry. But then he was killed by dying on the cross, and what we know now is that was for the sins of the world. He was buried in a tomb, and he rose from the dead, and then he ascended into heaven. And this is the coolest part, right? Because this is the essence, this is the origin, this is the foundation of Christianity. And, and for the last 2,000 years, often we're in this fight trying to make it something that it's not, but this is it. 
And that's what Luke says as he begins this book. And so this week, after last week answering what, what is the origin, what is the essence, what is the foundation of Christianity, I want us to help us, I want, I want to help us understand if this is the essence, if this is the origin, if this is the foundation of Christianity, and we embrace this truth about what Christianity is, then what? And we have to jump down to verse 6, 7, and 8 to understand what comes after we accept this truth and this truth of, of Christianity becomes the foundation of not just Christianity, but then our lives. What happens? Here it is, Acts chapter 1, verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Isn't that the common question? Is now the time, Jesus, that you're going to build your kingdom, that we're, we're going to take care of the Romans, we're going to deal with them? Is now the time? But he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And this is what I know. People often think Christianity is all about living a good life. That Christianity is, is, is at best trying your best. Doing your best. And when you don't do your best, then you can at least seek forgiveness along the way. You see, Christianity isn't about what I do. Christianity really has nothing to do with what I do. It's all about what Jesus did and what Jesus is doing. And we cannot confuse what God has done with what I do. Because of what Jesus has done and the work that Jesus has done and the work that Jesus began to do, we are welcome and we are embraced by God. We are loved by God and God pours out life into us with his power and glory so that we might be able to be his witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so one of the big questions that we have to answer is this. How do I get this power? Like where, where does this power come from? How, how does this power become a reality for me right now, right here, where I am in this life? How do I get it? And this is what I want you to know. We cannot receive the awakening and the transformative and the revolutionary and the life-changing power of Jesus unless we embrace the facts, unless we embrace the truth of Christianity, unless we embrace them as true. That's what we have to do. See, we have to believe that Christianity is true, not just for some people, but Christianity is true for all people. Verse 8 says, you will receive my power. You will receive my power when you, the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It doesn't just say Jerusalem. It says Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, which means really, who, who, who is Christianity for? All people. Not just to some people. Jesus says, I want you to be my witnesses where? Everywhere. For all people. And this is true. Jesus is and has been always for all people. And too often we want to see if Christianity will work for us. And so we put Christianity to a test. We want to see if it will work for us or not. How can we be sure Christianity will work for us? Well, what does it even mean that Christian? I want to see if Christianity will work for me. 
This has happened. True stories. People come to Mountain View. I meet them at Mountain View in five, and I say, well, what brought you here today? And, and they're like, well, I'm exploring. I'm trying to figure out if Christianity will work for me. It's worked for my friend. I want to see if it'll work for me. And I'm not even sure what this means. I, I mean, does it mean that I want to try Christianity so I can be perpetually happy? And my life will go peachy? At what point do we determine whether or not Christianity will actually work for us or not? You see, Christianity will not work for any of us. If we want to find out how to be a true Christian, it won't work. Let me explain what I mean. We, if we want to be true to Christianity, and then we're forced to tell the truth when it will require some consequences. For example, I tell the truth, but then I lose my job if I tell the truth. Suddenly, Christianity won't work for me. Christianity won't work for us when suddenly we have to change the friends we run with. Christianity won't work when suddenly my lifestyle needs an adjustment. Christianity won't work for us when all of a sudden the flesh and the spirit start to fight. Have you ever been in one of those fights? When you think, I want, I want, I want, but the spirit's saying no, 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 and you get this tug of war going on between your own flesh and, and the spirit of God as they fight for our soul. Christianity doesn't work in those moments. It's, it's not comfortable. So we have to decide not if Christianity will work for us. We have to decide, do I believe the truth about Christianity or not? Because if Jesus really is the son of God, who existed before the creation of the world, and he came to earth, God in the flesh, if this is true, and if Jesus really lived, and if Jesus died, and if Jesus rose, and then Jesus ascended, and right now is sitting at the right hand of God, continuing the work that he began, and then he promised to return to the world, to judge the world, if what Jesus said about him, himself is true, then Christianity, without a doubt, will work. Christianity will work, because when we begin to serve him, all of a sudden, we realize how the designer designed us, how the designer made us with purpose and passion and intentionality so that we can become his witnesses, not just to our own people, but to all people, everyone, everywhere. And what, is, what if Christianity, what if Christianity is not true? I mean, what if? What if Jesus' claims about himself were wrong? What if somewhere right now, Jesus' bones are rotting away in some grave somewhere, somewhere? What if the disciples were wrong? What if the disciples were deluded? What if the disciples were liars? Then Christianity won't work. And if Christianity does work, and it would only work for a small period of time, it would be a placebo of type, right? But it hasn't lasted a short period of time. Christianity has been going strong for over 2,000 years, and it has continues to grow and flourish and, and to change lives. And if we try to experience Christianity, if we try to experiment with Christianity, listen, it will ruin us. It will ruin you. Christianity doesn't work Friday nights. It doesn't work Saturday nights for some, for some lifestyles. Instead, we have to figure out is Christianity true or not? Is the truth about Jesus, what he claimed about himself and what, what these disciples claimed about him, was it true? Was Jesus really the son of God? And did Jesus really rise from the dead? Is it true? If it is true, then Christianity will work for you and Christianity will work for me. Christianity is either useful for some people 
or, or sorry, let me say that again. Christianity is either useful for all people or it's useless for all people. It cannot be useful for just some people. And I could spend more time on this, but I've got really one great example, I think, when, when we try to figure it out. How do we figure it out? How do we figure out if Christianity is true or not? And there's this incredible moment in Matthew chapter 9 when Jesus goes to Matthew, actually the one who wrote the record of Jesus' life, the first gospel, the gospel of Matthew. Matthew is a tax collector. And so he was despised because he's a Jew who seemed to have turned to the other side. He worked for the Romans. And so Jesus encounters Matthew, and he says to Matthew, today we're going to eat together, we're going to dine together, and I'm going to invite you to be one of my disciples. I'm going to invite you to follow me and to trust me, and, and, and I'm going to do this for you. And all of a sudden the Pharisees say, whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus, what are you doing eating with sinners and tax collectors. And in Matthew 9, Jesus says something very profound. He says, listen, listen, here it is. Those who are well have no need for a physician. It's those who are sick that need a physician. And then he says this to the Pharisees. He says, here's how you figure out if this is true or not. Go and learn. Matthew 9, go and learn what this means. And Jesus says, go and learn, go and study, go and discover, go and mull it over, go and get it right in your heart and in your head, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. This is what he tells the Pharisees. And then he says this, for I have come not for the righteous, but I've come for sinners. And so how do, we, how do we discover the truth about Christianity? I think the answer is right there in Matthew chapter 9. Go and learn. Go and study this. Go and mull it over. Go and get it right in your heart. Go and discover. Go and figure this out. We have to figure it out. Go and learn. Jesus said, go and think about it and think about it and think about it until you figure it out. So maybe you're struggling today trying to figure out if Christianity is true or not. Jesus invites you, he invites me, he invites all of us to go and figure it out. And please remember, please remember this. Christianity is objectively true for everyone. However, it must also be a personal decision. It has to be a personal decision for me and it has to be a personal decision for you. We will be his witnesses. This is the truth. And they knew about death. They knew about resurrection. They knew that they were witnesses. They had the truth. They knew Jesus suffered. They knew Jesus died. They knew Jesus rose from the dead. They understood this maybe better than any of us. And so how do we become witnesses to this truth, this, this reality of who Jesus claimed to be and what Jesus accomplished? what he did, how do we, how, we need this power to be his witnesses. And so here's the secret. I want to share with you the secret to the power. And it's this. And by the way, power doesn't mean, power doesn't mean that we lord something over other people. That's not the term of power. It's not the same as authority. It's, it's like dynamite. It's something within that, that, that creates a combustion, right? It's not something that's done over you. So that's, that's for free. But here's, here's the secret to power. Authentic Christianity is always a crossroads of truth and grace, of truth and power. That's what I meant to say, of truth and power. In other words, it's not real Christianity if we just have a general belief about Christianity. If we just say, you know what, I, I, I want to believe enough 
just so I can make sure I get to heaven when Jesus returns? I want to believe enough about Christianity, but you know what? There's a lot of debate and a lot of argument about when Jesus lived and and what Jesus actually did. And how do you explain all those miracles? And how do you explain all those parables? How do you explain all of that stuff, right? But, But this is what I want you to know. You can't just accept the truth and see what we get out of it. That's, our, that's the wrong approach to Christianity. There are many self-proclaimed, don't miss this, many self-proclaimed Christians who subscribe to a very general belief about what Christianity is. When we subscribe to, to, to just a, well, a common acknowledgement that Christianity must be true, and when we, we subscribe to this general belief, we lack power. And Paul, who, who, is a, who is a mentor to this young pastor named Timothy, wrote about this. Look at this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, but understand this, that in the last days there will be times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self and lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving God, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Here it is. This is what Paul says to young Timothy. Having the appearance of godliness, having the appearance of bearing the truth, believing the truth, accepting the truth, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. This is what Paul says. Avoid these people. We can, compl- we can claim to believe in the truth of Christianity, the essence of Christianity, the ethos of Christianity, the foundation of Christianity. We can claim to believe all of that about Jesus all day long. Having the appearance of truth, we can claim to have that while denying and neglecting the power that comes from the truth. And what Paul said is avoid these people. Avoid them. Avoid those people who appear to have godliness but lack power. And by the way, this power isn't just something you pray for. I mean, certainly the disciples, if you were to read in Acts chapter 1, they go up to the upper room, they begin to pray, but they're not praying for power. And nowhere in the Bible, as a matter of fact, or at least in the New Testament, do we see anybody praying to receive this power. What we see is we see people praying truth and continuing to pray truth. And and every time they pray truth, the power comes. For example, look what Paul says in Romans chapter 1. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone. See, the Bible teaches us the truth. The Bible teaches us that Jesus suffered and that Jesus died and that Jesus rose and that Jesus ascended into heaven. This is the truth about Jesus. And it's not this truth that brings the power. It's not the truth that brings a result, and the result is the power. It does not lead to power. It does not have power. It is the power. It is the power. And when we realize and accept what Jesus has done for us, the truth becomes power. And don't miss that. When we realize, when we accept this truth, the the basic foundational truth of Christianity is all about Jesus. When we accept this, all of a sudden truth becomes power. And I, and I want to be bold and I want to be truthful and I want to be honest with you and it's because I love you. And I've been called to help lead us and guide us 
and admonish us and edify us. And so I want you to know that I say this out of love and I say this out of care and I say this out of compassion. And my hope, my hope is that it will spur you on and it will move you on. Listen, if you don't have power in your life, and again, I'm not talking about authority. If you don't have power in your life, then you don't have truth in your life. And not just truth, the truth. And maybe it's because you're wrestling with the truth. You haven't grasped the truth yet. Maybe you don't even get the truth. Maybe for the first time you're hearing that the truth is about Jesus and it is the foundation of Christianity. What Paul said, well, you have truth. Now pray for power. No, that's not what he says. If we read the Bible, we will see people are praying the truth, praying the truth, believing the truth, accepting the truth, standing firm on the truth. And when we do that, then all of a sudden it explodes. We pray the truth, pray the truth, pray the truth, believe the truth, and then it explodes. And if we believe that we have truth and we understand Christianity and there is no power in our life, then we don't understand the truth. The foundation of Christianity. So here's the test. How do we know if we have truth and power? How do we know if we have both of these? Well, there's a couple of, couple of thoughts here. The first one is this. When truth becomes power, our identity is transformed. When truth becomes power, when there's an intersection of truth and power, something changes in all of us. We experience life change and, and we're transformed. And you say, I no longer look at myself the same way. I'm different than what I used to be. The trajectory of my life has changed. I don't look at myself the same way that I used to look at myself. Now I'm a Christian first. I'm not white first or black first. I'm a Christian first. I'm white and black second. I'm a Christian first and I'm male or female second. I'm a Christian first and, and I'm American or Mexican second. I'm a Christian first and I'm rich or poor second. Or, or our profession and our careers, I'm a Christian first, not, not what I do. So suddenly, when power and truth intersect, we are transformed and something significantly changes within us and the attitude that we have towards ourselves and others changes. Galatians 2 says this, Paul wrote it, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. This is truth, and it's no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. There's the foundation of Christianity. And what does the foundation of Christianity do? It changes us. It transforms us. It absolutely gives us a new identity. And our righteousness, what we do cannot save us. We must realize what Jesus has done and what Jesus continues to do. The truth, what Jesus has done for us becomes the power, not what I do. And when this truth becomes power, we experience life change. Everything about us changes. We're transformed. There's something revolutionary that goes on in our soul. And when we look at ourselves different, we look at other people different. Here, here's another one. When truth becomes power, the things that used to control us, the things that used to scare us, and the things that used to drive us, no longer do. This is one of those evidences, one of the signs of truth becoming power. 
what used to drive us, what used to control us, all of those things, they no longer drive us or control us or scare us. These things don't scare us anymore because they're not the most important thing in our life. How many of us have been absolutely afraid to lose something because we felt like we had to hold so tightly on to it? But when, when power and truth intersects, all of a sudden, the, the, the loss of, of something doesn't control us. It doesn't dictate our life anymore. It doesn't drive us anymore. These things that controlled our lives, they don't drive us. They would scare us. But because of truth and power, all of a sudden, we get a real freedom and a sense of freedom. We have an awareness or a sense that there is something that has come into us. And this, this spirit, this power that comes into us starts to change us remodel us in the inside, transforming our habits and and transforming our personality. Paul wrote this to the church of Corinth. He said, listen, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, holding on to this truth, accepting the foundation, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. This is what happens when we say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, just like Paul did. It is the power of God. Have you seen the power of God? Do you have this power in your life right now? Have you experienced the revolution and the transformation in your life? And either way determines what we believe or how we accept this truth of Christianity. This is also true if you've been a Christian for a long time. There are some of us who have been Christians for a long time and we kind of believe it and we accept it, but we've not allowed the power in us to change us. And then to be used by God to change the people around us. Sometimes, even as Christians, especially if we've been Christians for a long time, we get stagnant, we get dry, we grow weary. We wonder, how long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? Maybe we need to take a fresh look and be reminded about what Christianity is all about. That it's not about you, and it's not about me. It's not about this. What Christianity is about, it's all about Jesus. And that Jesus who was present before the creation of the world, came and lived among us. And he taught us for three years. And then he died for the sins of the world. He died for you and he died for me. And he was buried in a tomb. And he rose from the dead. And then he ascended into heaven. And right now he's sitting at the right hand of God so that he can continue the work that he started. And he does that work through you and through me. Suddenly when the truth becomes power, the things that we used to to care about and the things that used to scare us and the things that used to drive us and control us, they, they become ways now to serve Jesus. I love taking people to Africa for the first time or to Mexico for the first time. Because all of a sudden, what used to scare you, what used to intimidate you, you get there and you set your foot into the Mathari Valley slum, which which you know you don't belong. But all of a sudden, you dig in and you start serving people. There's something that changes. The power is evident and something changes in our souls. You become even more aware that we want to have a revival of sorts and we begin to experience what the Christianity, what the core of Christianity is and it's right underneath our nose. And as a Christian, we don't do things because they are ideal. We don't do things because, well, they're just the right thing to do. We do things because we have power and the power is in us. 
And when a, when a Christian has this experience, the ability to do something that used to scare us or, or drive us, we start to say, well, if it's true that Jesus, though he was rich, became poor so that through his poverty, I might become rich, if this is true, if it's absolutely true that Jesus, he became poor, he came to earth, he, he, he let dirt get on his feet, if this is true, so that I could be rich. We have to think it out. We have to believe the truth. And when we do, we find power. And then all of a sudden, we start to say things. Well, maybe, maybe I should be willing to give it all away. Maybe I should be willing to move into the worst neighborhoods so that I might be the light of Jesus. Maybe, maybe I need to invest in, in something so that, so that it builds treasures in heaven, not on earth. I should, I should, I should becomes a question. What we really believe and understand, man, we, we're so greedy. We want more for ourselves and we feel entitled with Christianity. That is not Christianity. Christianity. When we understand that Jesus was rich and he became poor so that we might become people who inherit the kingdom of God, that should humble us. It should drive us to deny ourselves. To be willing to answer the question, I should, I should, I should. Whose kingdom are we building? My own or am I building his? That's for free. Didn't say that first service. But this is what happens when truth and power intersect. It changes us. It transforms us. It gives us a new identity. And it forces us to begin asking a question. What drives me? What do I pursue? What do I long for? What scares me? What controls me? When when truth and power intersect, the power begins to control you and compel you. And it forces us to ask a different set of questions. Let me give you this example. In 1859, there was this huge revival in Northern Ireland. And really, it was across the entire country of Ireland. But specifically in Northern Ireland, there was this area that was known to be an area where you could find lots of prostitutes. And interestingly enough, during this revival, most of the prostitutes left their lifestyle and they actually turned to Jesus. Now, I want to tell you why. Hey, there's actually an interview where a reporter asked a prostitute this question. Why are all the girls starting to come to church? She said, well, sir, there are two problems. First, business has completely fell off during the revival. And then second, for the first time in our lives, people on the streets are treating, with, with, with treating us with kindness and with respect. Now, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this. this the non-religious people, the people who had no religious background or rejected religion, were exploiting the girls by giving them business. At the same time, the religious people were treating the girls with hatred and contempt also exploiting them. And what we see in Northern Ireland is that the religious and the non-religious people were both part of the problem. Had, had the religious people said, you know what we need to do? We, we need to build bigger buildings and bigger fortresses, and, and what we need to do is, is get stronger and more religious, and we need to be more conservative, then certainly that would have turned them from their bondage to Jesus. No. 
No. Building fortresses, becoming more religious and more stronger and, and, and starting to fight and defend things or all these things, that doesn't do it. What, what does it is truth and power do this. See, the religious were willing to spit on the girls, hate the girls, condemn the girls. But all of a sudden, when, when even the religious all of a sudden receive the gospel, the gospel begins to change their souls and their lives. I mean, you're the non-religious, they didn't have God's law. They didn't know what God was all about. And so this is why they went to prostitutes in the first place. But the religious, they lacked God's love. And they felt superior to the sinners. Why? Because even the religious people in Northern Ireland didn't see themselves as sinners saved by grace. Well, this is what happens when we all begin to see ourselves as sinners who are saved by grace. Whoo, something changes. Well, when all of a sudden we realize that, that God's law can't fulfill us, but it's God's love that fulfills us. It begins to change the world. It changes community. It changes families. It changes me and it changes you. This is what truth and power together do. Jesus said this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8 you will receive power. Power for what? To be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And one of my fears is we're stuck in Jerusalem. What do I mean by that? Man, go back and read about Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Study Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Do you know who Jesus shaked his fist at? Not the outsiders. The insiders. The religious. He often said to the religious, listen, you've got it wrong. You're missing the point. God is doing something bigger here. And sometimes I feel like Jerusalem, we overlook the sins of one another all the time. Ah, they're struggling, it's okay. But man, we shake our fist to the outsiders. How dare they? And their souls are empty, lost. They don't know what they're missing. But we're lacking that witnessing part. We're stuck in Jerusalem. We're protecting our fortress. We're shaking our fist at the outsiders, the very people that Jesus wants to use you and me to reach, to make Jesus known to, so that they can know the truth and experience the power and be transformed themselves, just like we have. So here, here's my question. What if, what if Christianity is true? What if Jesus, who existed before the creation of the world, came to earth and taught us for three years exactly the way he wanted us to become? What if, what if Jesus really did die on the cross for the sins of the world? And what if, what if Jesus was really buried in a tomb? And what if three days later, Jesus rose from the dead 
and appeared to people over the next 40 days to show that he was alive and he was real and that he was authentic. And what if Jesus really did ascend into heaven and right now he's sitting at the right hand of God continuing the work that he started? What if, what if this is true? What changes for you? What starts to drive you? What kind of transformation are you experiencing? What kind of work is God doing in your soul to make you more and more like his son, Jesus? What are the I shoulds that you're asking that would accomplish the work that Jesus began? in your own family, in your own workplace, in your own school, in your own neighborhood, in our community. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, if Christianity is false, is of no importance. Let me say that again. Christianity, if false, is of no importance. But if true, if it's all true, it's of infinite importance. And the only thing, the only thing it cannot be is moderately important. Christians, right now, we stand on the edge of almost behaving as if it's moderately important. And if you lack power, you lack truth. So what are we going to do about that? This is what happens in verse 9 of Acts chapter 1. When Jesus said these things, as Peter and John and some of the others were looking on, Jesus was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. They were gazing into heaven, just staring into heaven. When two men dressed in white appear, maybe angels, and they say, what are you looking at? What are you looking at, men in Galilee? Why do you stand there looking into heaven? Didn't he just ask you to go do something, like be my witnesses? And then they say this. This Jesus who was taken up into heaven, he will come back the same way you saw him go. And if Christianity is true, Jesus is going to return? And the question is this. If I had the truth and the power, am I his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth? Has the power and truth intersected to create transformation in my soul? Has truth and power intersected so the things that used to control me no longer do? Things that used to drive me no longer do? Things that used to scare me no longer do because I know whose I am. And I know the foundation I stand on. We're going to sing a song called The Blessing. And I want you to contemplate and answer this question for yourself. What if Christianity is true for me? What if this blessing that started way back with Abraham this movement of God that started with, with Abraham has culminated with Jesus and continues on with you and me. What if all of that is true? What if Christianity is true? What does that mean for you? There's this blessing that comes with us. Let's sing about that right now.